to where the big boys play welcome to 20 years of nitro worldwide edition this is our post nitro bonus show where we dive into the dirt sheets and check out the other channel as we round up the week in wrestling that was january 13th through january 19th 1997 i am your host tim rutt and with me <laughs> as always is my quarantine colleague dave amantorp how are you doing today, Dave? Oh, we're doing pretty good. I um I uh, we're kind of in like the late afternoon today. Um just after early afternoon I went on a walk and it's really nice out and I even like took off the headphones and stuff because it's a little bit quieter out so you can just hear even in, in our neighborhood in Edina you can hear some nature and I walked by to some random like random house that had a whole bunch of uh, garden. They had a garden, and they had uh, birdhouses, and I saw two blue jays, oh, and I was like, wonderful. "Oh, cool!" Because I don't know. I feel like you don't like they're. I I know blue jays are like common, but I'm always like, "Oh, neat!" I feel yeah. I feel like seeing blue jays are neat. Blue jays and cardinals are two birds that I see several times a week, and yet I'm always uh, delighted when I get to. Yeah, I mean, I, part of me probably thinks it's like it's the baseball thing because they're baseball mascots. Mm, sure. I'm like, oh, those are the those are the birds I can easily <laughs> identify. Right, yeah. Um, besides, like all like a kind of the the fat basic ones. So many basic birds out there. You know what I've been seeing a lot lately? Uh, muskrats. Oh yeah, I, I, well I've seen muskrats, but I've not seen them in good condition. Ooh, uh, by the road. Yeah, yeah, lots of. They, they, yeah, I feel like they're, I don't know if, if they're, if it's, uh, if they're coming out because of weather or maybe it's because there's just less people. So they feel like it's a little bit, they're able to come out a little bit more, but I, yeah, I've seen like a, a weirdly increased number of muskrats on the, on the, on the road. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I would have expected, you know, I'm more in suburbia. I'm like a half mile from a lake. And so one of the routes that I walk kind of takes me along the, the road of all the rich people who live on the lake and that's where i see the majority of them so i'm surprised mm-hmm. i mean the city does have a, a plenty of lakes but i'm still surprised that in the much more developed area that you're in you're seeing your the muskrats must be they're they're taking over the world if, if i'm seeing them here in the burbs and you're seeing them in the city i think it's sign of an impending muskrat uh related apocalypse maybe that's where the covid came from it's the rise of the muskrats yeah, yeah they are the uh they are the new world order of <laughs> our of our communities well, this is, of course, another one of our bonus episodes, which always follow our Nitro reviews. We talk about everything that happened in wrestling that wasn't Nitro, the particular week that we're covering. This episode is a companion piece to episode 70, in which we reviewed the January 13th, 97 episode of Nitro, along with uh, Minnesota Independent star Darren Corbin. That was a lot of fun. But before we move on to everything else that happened in wrestling this week, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And you can always email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. 
Now, here at the top of the show, we always like to look back at anything that we could have done better. It's time for corrections and omissions. 20 years of Nitro. would like to make the following corrections. The following corrections. That uh, new theme you heard there for corrections and omissions was courtesy of Eastman Presser, uh, who also did our worldwide closing and opening themes and our raw recap theme. He is, uh, and he helped me with uh, Light the Torch, which is one I did Light the Torch and um, Observe This. Those are those are Tim Rudd original creations, but he was instrumental in helping me with some issues I was having on Light the Torch. So Eastman is like, he's basically the Paul Schaefer of our podcast. Yes, <laughs> that's a fair <laughs> that's a fair assessment. But if you want some custom great, uh, I mean, he, he, he can do a lot of different styles. I love the kind of stanky organ style that he he has shown for the things we do but he can do all sorts of stuff uh he current he he works at a liquor store that i think is closed right now as part of corona so if you need custom music made for anything that you want you should get at him uh it's at eastman presser on twitter now it was a, a pretty quiet week for us as far as corrections and omissions we we didn't say a lot of stuff that was wrong um, so it just seemed like a good space, though, to bring up something I wanted to mention. Uh, our friend Neil, who went to college, uh, he went to the school that Dave and I went to. He came there after I had graduated, but had some overlap with you. So I didn't really know him that well, but I think you knew him a little better. Uh, but I, I've met him in the years since. He sent us a tweet that compared Roddy Piper's gibberish on Nitro a few weeks ago, where he was yelling out uh, what we later learned was Gaelic. You dropped the ball again. He compared that to the following Simpsons clip. Son, you wait here while Daddy tries to talk some sense into this raven derelict. I just thought this was such a good joke, it's such a good comparison that I was jealous I hadn't come up with it and I wanted to put it on our show. Thanks for writing, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I I mean, also, any sort of podcast uh, does not hurt to make more Simpsons references when you can. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the other thing that we kind of omitted due to time constraints in our last episode, we wanted to let Darren Corbin go back to his life. We had monopolized about two and a half hours of his time talking Nitro, so uh, we were trying to cut it short. So we didn't discuss in depth a lot uh, the new adventures of Robin Hood, the actual content of that show, because... You and I both watched the entire pilot, and then you watched the second episode as well. Uh, what did you think of the new adventures of Robin Hood as a as a piece of televised content, Dave? Well, I mean, the just for the record, the reason why I watched the second episode is I was just killing the little extra time I had before we were going to record, mm-hmm. and it was the sort of thing where it's like I have like forty five minutes. And this episode's like thirty-seven, so that would fill in nicely. So I just kind of, I just kind of naturally went on to the next episode. I, I didn't really have the intention of like, I'm, I'm gonna binge this. A big rewatch so have, of the new adventures <laughs> of Robin Hood. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, but I think I think the simplest, uh, the easiest way to explain it, and this is this is for people that, that know these shows I'm going to refer to, is that it was basically they're taking the Robin Hood idea, the character, the uh, setting, and they were trying to recreate like a Xena Warrior Princess or a Hercules show, mm-hmm. um, but but like a fraction of the budget. Yes. Um, I I think nowadays when you look at those shows, they do look a little bit kind of on their by their own accords like a little bit cheaper uh just because they kind of they just all those shows kind of look like now they have like uh theater costumes mm-hmm. like stage costumes mm-hmm. on rather than like uh, you know stuff you see on the avengers or anything like that but right i i i would i mean i would imagine those were kind of um at the time bigger budgeted shows and if you watch anything of the new adventures of Robin Hood, you're like, Oh, they do not have nearly as much money, especially when you get past any named characters. Yes. Um, in, in particular, uh, like the villagers, anytime they go into a village with villagers, it is the, the barest minimum of like costumes that kind of look like they make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does like that was my impression is it looks, it looks pretty like, it, not necessarily cheap because the the outfits didn't look like they didn't look like they're used or anything like that. But it's just like um, they were working like they're working on a budget yes. pretty much, uh, which is kind of a weird contrast because if you at least watch through the the intro video, like the the, the opening uh, montage is that there's special effects in this. Yes, and, there's like a dragon they show in the opener. There's um like a wizard morphing uh the wizard played uh by Christopher Lee d- during his kind of lull in his career where he was taking I mean he he's known for kind of having worked in a lot of stuff but still surprising yeah. to see him show up in in direct this low yeah so there's like there's different elements to it where it's like yeah i mean like it looks like it's going on a budget but then like it has special effects and like you're mentioning, I mean, like, I don't think Christopher Lee was exactly even then like cheap. So I, I don't know. It's just, it's a very, it's a, yeah. I mean, I, I would just generally like, like I said at the beginning, it's trying to recreate one of those shows, but it's like, Oh, let's use, let's use a different, um, um, character that's in the public domain and, and yeah. try to create the same magic when right from the start, you're like, no, it just does it. Like you can just tell that it does not have the creative force behind it, like those other shows did. Yeah, it doesn't have um, the charm that those shows had, and I was never even really a big fan of those shows. But they do have a certain level of charm, a certain like wink and a nod, like, "Hey, we get it. We know what this is, and we're having fun mm-hmm. with you guys." You know, we're we're in on the joke. Uh, whereas the New Adventures of Robin Hood does not feel like it has that same sense of like self awareness and fun. Uh, mm-hmm. It also is just like it's very poorly written. Scenes go nowhere. Uh, the acting, Robin Hood, I thought was pretty good. I could see him being like the buddy on a better show. Uh, he's maybe not cut out to like carry an entire thing just based on right. charisma level. Or, or for example, maybe the buddy in Robin Hood Men in Tights, which is where they got him <laughs> from, pretty much. Because people that see him will recognize that he is actually uh, Will Scarlet O'Hara. Um, that character from Robin Hood Men in mm. Tights, which he was, I thought, like, he's very funny in, like, the few moments he has there. Yeah. 
and and maybe it's maybe it's a case where it's like he wasn't exactly ready for Broadway sort of thing. Um, and I think that also is a big contrast because like Xena Warrior Princess and Hercules had also very uh, just charming leads. Yes. Um, yeah. Kevin Sorbo and Lucy Lawless were good on those respective shows. Right. Yeah. And they worked very well for what they're expecting right. from those characters. Right. Whereas, um, I mean, yeah, it seems like I, I think the, the guy that plays Robin Hood, like, you know, yeah, he has some charm to him and stuff like that, but this is just, it's not the role. It, it needs maybe someone that's a little bit more in on the joke, maybe a little bit re- able to, um, chew the scenery a bit more as it were. Yeah. And, uh, little John is really, really bad. Like yes. one of the yes. worst actors I've seen in like a, a extremely prominent series, regular part in mm-hmm. any televised show. Like it's to the point where in some scenes I was, I couldn't figure out if maybe he doesn't speak English and his dialogue was dubbed. It's like that. Oh, level right. Yes. Of, of terribleness. Uh, Marion, I thought was pretty good. And Friar Tuck was, was intended as comic relief. It wasn't very funny, but that's certainly what he's doing. I know the whole time I was seeing little John, I kept thinking of future uh, WCW Nitro regular Van Hammer. Oh, interesting. Um, I could see that. Yeah. Like, if he had, like, stopped doing steroids for a while. Now, the other thing that we sort of omitted from the last show was talking a little bit more about... I had found some commentary from people who were there inside the company when that stunt happened and kind of talked about what went into the decision-making and how they dealt with the backlash that happened at the time. So the first person I listened to was a clip from Tony Schiavone's podcast, um, What Happened When?, And uh, just to summarize it, he basically says that everyone was against it. He believes that it encapsulates the problems of WCW because they weren't a singular entity like WWE, who is really only answerable to Vince. They were a part of the Turner Broadcasting Corporation. So Eric had all sorts of people above him who did not care about wrestling and only saw, you know, the success that Nitro was having with the ratings as as a way to prop up other things like this, this new Adventures of Robin Hood show. Um, so he just talks about, you know, they forced us to do it. We didn't want to. And just even talking about it on that podcast, Shivani gets fired up. He's, he's still angry about, about that decision to this day, sort of as more of a symbol of all the other decisions that he felt were forced upon WCW. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eric Bischoff, of course, especially in his kind of podcast persona, he's much more of a smooth, arrogant guy. Uh, he just says, you know, Brad Siegel asked what we could do to help promote Robin Hood we had a you know little team that talked about different ideas. This is what we came up with. Um, he says that, yeah, they should have had wrestling during the first break, but it was probable that, um, that those ads were sold already by the time they even came up with the idea. So yeah. the fact that they told you you'd have wrestling during the break and then during the first one there was none, he, he has to get, like, badgered by Conrad even, even admitting that that was a problem. Uh, but at the time, in 1997, within a few weeks... He had gone on the online platform Prodigy in order to do a chat, which included an apology and a quote that, uh, quote, under the circumstances, we felt it was in our best interests to help with the network effort, which is a lot of corporate speak. But it's basically Eric saying, look, my boss told me I had to and I'm I'm not dumb enough to say we're not going to do that. <laughs> sure. And that's also um, 
you know, that's Uncle Eric's way of uh, misremembering things oh, down the road too, yes. which is kind of his habit. Um, I mean, and you never, I, you never get the impression with him that he is like, I don't remember exactly how it happened, so I should look into it first before commenting. Right. I think it's just his. his at the moment, he's like. I'm determined that this is actually how it happened, and that's why I'm going to roll with at this moment. Yeah, he, and he talks. If he doesn't remember something, sometimes he'll just talk about what he thinks he would have been thinking. But now, you know, it's 23 years later, and Eric Bischoff as a person has changed, and so mm-hmm. I think a lot of the times he's answering how he would feel if he were in that position now, which could be very different from how he actually reacted when he was yeah. a much younger man living a much different lifestyle. Yeah, so I mean, I like I like the um, I like the I mean I like the comment from Tony Schiavone. I mean, for one thing, you just get the better. I I get the better sense in general that Tony Schiavone is a little bit more. He he just remembers things better. Yeah. For one thing, and I feel like you get a much more frank opinion from him, um, especially since you know, like Eric grew up and spent a lot of his career as like a company man. Yeah. And it's kind of, uh, I mean, once you're kind of in that like mind frame, it's kind of hard to ever really get out of it or find a reason to get out of it since he's older and generally usually, usually retired if he's not being hired and fired by WWE. Um, whereas I, I feel like, yeah, like Tony Schiavone, like, so like his side of things feels more like a more honest way of like, that's probably how a lot of people in his position felt at the time mm-hmm. too. Sure. Uh, one last note about that was at the time sources within WCW, people who were interested in leaking information to Dave Meltzer, uh, that was favorable to WCW. So now whether that was Bischoff or someone doing it on his behalf, uh, they mm. had kind of leaked out to Meltzer that WCW had been told that the two clips of Hogan giant match would air during the first two commercial breaks. So whether that's true oh, or not, sure. they want Dave Meltzer to tell his fans that. Hopefully, you know, they're just kind of trying to take some of the heat off of them from the mm-hmm. uh, the wrestling community, such as it was in 90, 1997. You think, you think when people are intentionally leaking to Dave Meltzer, I mean, I, I just, I feel like Eric Bischoff would not do something like that personally. I don't think he would personally, but I think he would have like a Greg Gagne or somebody... You know, somebody he I I any wrestling company would be dumb not to have an approved back channel to Meltzer. You right. know, someone that they can ask to call and leak stuff that they want leaked to him. Um, so I know WWE f- did for years. I don't know if they do now because now they are a lot more closed off to him than they used to be. Um, mm. But I know. Yeah, I know for sure that that they used to. And I know. I know a ton of guys in WCW talk to Meltzer. Uh, Zane Bresloff is a well-known source of his and was for years and years. We talked about him in our in our last episode. Um, so the and Flair, of course. Um, yeah, you know Meltzer wasn't working with Brian Alvarez at the time he does now, but like uh, Chris Benoit is well known as being uh, a source for Brian Alvarez. So, like, over time, we know some of those who some of those people were that were feeding information, but we we don't know everyone, and we probably never will. All right. Well, with corrections and omissions out of the way, it's time to change the channel over to the USA Network, because it's time for our Raw Recap.
over on Raw. We were on the go-home show for the 1997 Royal Rumble. Uh, so Goldust and Mark Marrow got disqualified in their match against Lawler and Triple H when Goldust would not stop choking Triple H. Rocky Maivia defeated the British Bulldog after Steve Austin interfered. Uh, Brett was on commentary for that one. The Undertaker defeated Crush. There was a ton of interference from the nation, and uh, eventually Ahmed Johnson came out to help Taker with the nation because he's got a match uh, at the Royal Rumble against Farouk. So basically there was a lot of, you know, it was it was just a, a show full of chicanery and um, interference spots to kind of set up, you know, to further feuds or just have like small go-home angles heading into the Rumble. And then kind of the centerpiece of the show was Shawn Michaels giving a live promo. Uh, Raw was pre-taped, but the Michaels promo was live. And then Psycho Sid had a pre-taped promo. So kind of their, their final promos on each other going into mm-hmm. their championship match at, at the Royal Rumble, which then brings us to the Royal Rumble results. We'll just do that now since we're in kind of the WWF results section. The WWF Royal Rumble, Triple H defeated Goldust to retain the Intercontinental title. Ahmed Johnson defeated Farouk. Vader defeated The Undertaker after Paul Bearer returned and hit Taker with the urn. Sainik, Hector Garza, and Pero Aguayo defeated Fuerza Guerrera, Heavy Metal, and Jerry Estrada. Stone Cold Steve Austin won the Royal Rumble, last eliminating Bret Hart. This was a screw job of sorts uh, that were obviously in January 97, not as popular as it would be after November of 97, but Brett mm-hmm. was screwed out of the Royal Rumble win when Austin was eliminated, but snuck back into the match, uh, which the referees did not notice. So he was eliminated Hart. So that Hart, you know, has kind of been screwed in a lot of his recent championship opportunities. So this is one more. Uh, of course, tomorrow night on Raw, he'll give a big promo, but we'll talk about that in our next Worldwide episode. Yeah, I just wanted... I. Like there, like this moment here, like uh, leading up to WrestleMania and Bret Hart eventually doing his heel turn. I just, I just really, as a Bret Hart fan, I really liked it because, like, he's getting upset and he's like be turning heelish like gradually over these screw jobs, but they're all very justified too. Yeah, it's an extremely like, justified heel turn, and those are always uh, justified heel or face turn. Any, I mean, justifying a character's motivations is good storytelling, I guess would be the easiest yeah. way to put it. Right. Yeah. But it is also the thing where it's like, it's uh, encouraging the fans to turn on him, but also he has like these, this reasonable motivation. It's just, it's an interesting way to do it. And I think it's because of the execution and also he's up against um, arguably, I, I don't, I mean, yeah, arguably the, the most popular face or the most popular wrestler in Steve Austin right. while doing so. Now, uh, Austin winning and uh, Brett losing was a late change. Brett originally was scheduled to win the Rumble, but WWE had fi- or WWF at this point had figured that too many people saw that coming, that it had, been, it had been hinted at too strongly. So in classic WWF fashion, they, they swerve you and they make a late change so that the smart fans are still surprised. So Stone Cold Steve Austin wins. And then in the title match, Shawn Michaels, the hometown hero at the Alamo Dome where this was held, won the WWF championship from Psycho Sid. 
Now, in our ratings roundup, going back to those raw results and how they fared against Nitro on December th- or on January thirteenth, Raw came in at a two point three, and Nitro with a three point four. Uh, Nitro did a two point six and a four point two in hours one and two, respectively. Nitro only held a two point six lead in the head-to-head hour. Uh, and notably, Raw opened with a stronger rating. Uh, they opened with a 2.4 for their tag match of Marrow and Goldust against Lawler and Helmsley. That was that was a larger audience than Nitro's 2.2 rating for the mm-hmm. Chavo Guerrero Jr. versus JL and Duggan and Sting segments. Um, you know, it, it you could say, I suppose, that tag match beat a sting angle, but it's probably important to remember that the sting thing was an unexpected development. It's not like you knew sting was going to be out at that point. Yeah. Nitro took the lead in the second quarter hour with a 2.6 to 2.2. And the lead had grown to a 3.1 to 2.4, uh, during Guerrero. Malenko was up head to head against the undertaker and crush. So yeah, (laughs) it is notable that Ross started ahead of Nitro, but as the shows went on, Nitro opened up a lead and never looked back. Nitro itself peaked as a show overall with a 4.5 rating for Arn Anderson versus Rick Steiner and the main event of Hogan versus Sting. Uh, The experiment in giving some of that match during the commercial breaks of uh, Robin Hood worked. Robin Hood got a very strong rating of 4.1. Uh, but it was noticeably strongest at the beginning of the show and trailed off as wrestling fans either bailed or after the third break when the the match had concluded in the disqualification. So it helped Robin Hood, but it definitely was uh, probably some, some indications that that's not going to be a sustainable uh, level of rating for Robin Hood. They're, they're probably going to take a hit in their second episode, and then we'll... We'll see how the show does from there. We're probably not going to talk about it again on here, so I guess I'll, I might as well just spoil it. It does go two seasons. It manages to get a, a renewal, and then after that, the show is taken off of TNT, and uh, the company making it decides to continue it as a syndicated show selling directly to local markets, uh, but they slash the budget, and basically every actor on the show is replaced by someone who's probably making even less than the person who came before, so I imagine um, it. I I didn't look, but I I would love to find some of the season three and four episodes on YouTube because I bet they are somehow even cheaper looking and worse as an overall product. Dave, before we move on to the next segment, I need you to do me a little favor. What's that? Light the torch. <laughs> After some concern that the show might have attendance problems, the 1997 Royal Rumble drew 60,535 fans, 48,014 of whom paid for a total gate of $480,013, the second largest paid attendance for an American wrestling show to that point in history, second only to WrestleMania three. In the final nine days, they sold 20,000 tickets, mainly at 5 and $7 uh, that people were able to get tickets for that price if they had discount coupons from Taco Bell that, mm. according to locals, were being picked up as fast as they were printed. The day of the show, they sold around 70, excuse me, 
The day of the show, they sold around 7,000 walk-up tickets, which is a huge walk-up sale. That's a ton of That's people. That's crazy. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. So the show, you know, a lot of people were on the fence, and then whatever, they they decided, hey, you know what? I will go check out that Royal Rumble. I bet I can get some cheap seats if I go up. And sounds like mm-hmm. they were right. And so even if the gate wasn't that high in the list of all-time American gates, uh, even as of 97, it was the most it was the second most paid individuals in the building um, just at a low per head ticket mm-hmm. price. So still still a success. Still, a, you know, as business is way down for the WWF, that's kind of a gamble to even book it in that stadium. Uh, but, hey, you know what? It was a gamble that paid off and, and end up being a smart move. And sometimes you need a big show like that to make yourself look more popular than than maybe other business indicators would tell you that you are. And that helps sell television executives it helps sell arenas you know on the idea that you are a hot product and that you know they should work with you so good on the wwf that was a a smart smart play yeah and i don't remember if it was the last nitro or if it was a recent episode we were doing of worldwide but i remember that you had previously mentioned that um like even like a week away from the rumble like the ticket sales were not that impressive right for such a big stadium and as I've mentioned before on this podcast, I, I did order this pay-per-view. And I was like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I remember it is packed. And so when you kept mentioning that it was like, you know, half full and things like that, I was kind of just like in disbelief. I'm like, well, what happens? Like, because I know they feel it. I know they didn't fake it. Right. Mm. Excuse me. I know they didn't fake it or anything like that. So I was like, what on earth happened? And it sounds like they went, they t- it wasn't just like one promotional idea. They took like five different promotional <laughs> ideas yeah. and ran with them. And then just like them, it, I find the, I just, I find the, the walk up thing incredible because personally, I don't, I can't th- feel, I don't feel like I'd ever do a walk up thing for any event really. Yeah. That it just seems yeah. like, it, it seems like an unusual way to spend your evening of like, Oh, I hadn't considered sitting and being at a five hour wrestling show, but I'm going to now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, speaking of successful ticket sales for wrestling shows, NWO sold out is very close to being a legit sellout uh, with plenty of days to go before that show. It's almost certain that they will get there. Rick Flair did a radio appearance in Greensboro on a local station said that his rehab for his torn rotator cuff is way ahead of schedule. He's doing great. Uh, and also that he was instructed by the company to never again say Hogan sucks on television. <laughs> okay. <laughs> on Shotgun, this is a this is an incident that we talked about a little bit when we talked about the premiere of Shotgun Saturday Night, and I was saying that really nothing notable ever happens on that show. Maybe the most notable thing being in like the second episode that Terry Funk went on a little bit of a rant that got him in hot water with Vince McMahon. Well, that Mm -hmm. aired on January 18th, and Terry Funk mentioned WCW by name, saying that no one there wanted to rumble with him. Probably not a good idea since, you know, there's that lawsuit and WWF doesn't want to weaken their own case. Uh, Because one of the things they've talked about is, like, um, unfair competition or business practices or something with the way they're always Mm -hmm. running down WWF and saying they're failing, so unwise of them to air one of their wrestlers doing the same thing uh funk also called mcmahon a yankee bastard called jim ross an oaky a-hole uh the the whole word my my son's playing minecraft next to me so i'm not going to say any swear words right now 
Okay. Uh, and he called Todd Pettengill's mom a W-H-O-R-E. I'll use my... <laughs> a horse? Yeah. <laughs> Knowing Terry Funk, he, he might call someone a horse. What what did Todd Pettengill do to him? He called WCW a bunch of snake-sucking scumbags and uh, generally just ripped on Austin at ringside because that was the angle that I think Austin mm. got in and beat him up a little bit. Isn't Terry? I mean, isn't Terry Funk just such a treasure in professional wrestling? Yes, he really. Is I feel like I feel like as much as I appreciate him, it's just never enough. Because the weird thing is, it's like he wrestled for so many decades. Yeah, uh, so many styles of wrestling. As far as I could tell, was always very professional in the ring at all times. But on the mic, he always came across as like unhinged and just like it just unmanageable. Like, he, he seems like he's an unmanageable talent when he's on the microphone because you have no idea what he's going to be saying, how he'll say it, if it will make any sense or anything like that. And then he gets in the ring, and it's just like a completely different wrestler. It's And that's a, that's what I just I love about him is it's like the, WWF should have known better. You're, if you're going to give him the microphone, you should expect one of a thousand different bad endings to that. It's, it's interesting, too, that this is a guy who – um, managed to compete in the Royal Rumble in 97, uh, mm-hmm. competed in the main event of ECW's first pay-per-view in 1997, yep. and by, I want to say, 99, he's wrestling in WCW? Like, this guy really got around and did a lot of stuff in just the short period of time of the Monday Night Wars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's definitely there by 99, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and he's, I mean, he's back and forth because we've got Chainsaw Charlie and that whole thing. Like he's, yeah, he's a, he's an old man and he's just getting around to all three of the major companies. Like there's a few people who manage that. I know, um, like Rick Rude was involved with all three during the Monday Night Wars. Um, PCO is, is somebody who did like public enemy. I suppose you have to throw in there. But I mean, Terry Funk was used differently for all those paper, those shows. Right. Yeah. Even though. I mean, like, Chainsaw Charlie was obviously a different character, but, like, generally he's Terry Funk. And Terry Funk was, like, in ECW, is a hardcore legend. Um, whereas, like, I, it's not it's not great how he's used in WCW. He's used more, like, crazy old man that's still wrestling. Right. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah. Uh, which is, like, it's not far away from the truth, but it's not also, like... Like what's that's not a very profitable character. Mm-hmm. The giant and Ray Mysterio Jr. appeared on Regis and Kathy Lee on January fifteenth, and Hogan, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash appeared on the show on January sixteenth. Uh, there was a little impromptu tag match with uh, Kathy Lee and Ray Mysterio against Regis and the Giant that ended with Ray trying to pin the Giant and getting thrown so hard uh, he went over the top rope the the yokozuna randy savage uh ending of the royal rumble oh sure yeah uh and notably ray was limping uh after that which makes sense as we know he's coming off a knee injury which later on in my notes i do have that he doesn't need surgery he's expected back in a few weeks uh so good news on his knee although he definitely shouldn't be jumping around on Regis and Kathy Lee. He should be at home just putting ice on that thing, probably. <laughs> right, but he was, I mean, I feel like from Ray's position, if he's booked to do something for WCW right now, he's probably like, 
Last thing I want to do is give him a reason to not have me on the show. Yeah, you know, that's or with the true. company. You know, I can imagine someone his age, even though it's like at this point, very clearly one of the key components of the cruiserweight division, also feeling like he his job's on the line every day too. Yeah. So, watching Raw, you may have seen ads for WCW's uh, NWO sold out pay per view as the company paid for a bunch of local advertisements uh, to air in certain markets during Raw. Always always like uh, a little friendly competition like that. Mm-hmm. There was a brief bar fight in front of a few dozen other wrestlers on January 13th between Sean Waltman and the Nasty Boys, continuing the issues between uh, members of the Click and the Nasties. Apparently, Nobbs shoved Waltman, who had kind of been mouthing off to him. Waltman then punched Nobbs. And Jerry Sags punched Waltman. Uh, everyone was broken up at that point. It, it didn't escalate into much more. But, yeah, there's there's still simmering tensions over that incident between Hall and Jerry Sags recently. Yeah, I mean, like, Jerry Sags knocked Hall's teeth out just only a week or so ago. Right. So that's kind of something that's going to be a little bit hard to just get over by the next day, especially since, like, uh, those those two groups didn't care for each other in the first place. Right. Eric Bischoff described the chance of the Ultimate Warrior joining WCW as, quote, an Ice Cube's chance in hell. Hmm. So, interesting. Some things might change over the next 12 months or so. Well, I mean, by that point, didn't WWF kind of say, like, Warrior don't show up anymore because you're just very unprofessional? He yeah he was fired uh, like things went bad between him and WWF maybe two or three months ago by now I want to say okay yeah yeah because I, I I feel I felt like there was something where he had scheduled appearances and didn't show up for them or there yeah was something it was where um, that... it was the thing and I don't remember all the details it's been a while since we talked about it like I said it's been a few months but he. Mm-hmm was supposed to be at some event and he said that his dad died and that's why he missed it. And his dad did die, but he was like estranged from his dad and didn't actually like it. It was, he was using a real thing more as an excuse um, to like no show some things over like money problems. And yeah, yeah, it it became a pretty, you know, typical of the eight times that he broke up with that company. It, It got pretty ugly. Right. In the latest WWF magazine, Mark Marrow is profiled and says that in his first three years in WCW, despite being on steroids the entire time, he was never drug tested once. Uh, <laughs> but but don't worry, WWF, I'm cool now. <laughs> uh, to that, Eric Bischoff was he was asked about it and he said, "This is such like a BS corporate non-answer." Quote, I'll be anxious to check my records when I get back to the office tomorrow morning to see if that's just another one of the inconsistencies in Mark Marrow's world. So, like, he doesn't call the reporter back the next day when he's checked his records, of course. He's just like, oh, uh-huh. I- I'm going to look into that. That that sounds like a lie. <laughs> Wasn't there something... Um, oh, boy. Um, I'm, I'm, like, reaching into the faintest memories... Didn't Mark Merrill have some sort of weird, like, airport altercation with Bischoff? Yes. Or with someone? It was, it was when Merrill's contract was up, and they were working on the new deal, and they had an argument about it at the airport ready to fly out to Nitro, and I think mm-hmm. Eric just sent him home, is I believe 
Yeah, that's another thing that was quite a long time ago. But as I recall, that's what it was. Was uh, they had the contract that it, like basically everything was agreed to, and then Mero wanted some last minute assurances put into it, and Bischoff got really like just annoyed and angry about it. Thought Mero wasn't that important enough to like be worth the headache, and just sent him home, and and that was the end of the relationship. Yeah. Uh, with the torch all covered. It's time for a little segment that we call Observe This. Observe this, brother! This is what we call a rag rag sheet. On Friday, January 17th, a deal was struck, and on Sunday, January 20th, the contract was signed. ECW will indeed present a pay-per-view carried by America's largest pay-per-view distributor, Request TV. It will occur on Sunday, April 13th, live from the ECW Arena in Philadelphia and air from 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern. The main event is expected to be the Sandman versus Terry Funk versus Stevie Richards for the Sandman's ECW Championship. Yeah, that's very um, that's very exciting because it's like I mean, obviously it's the it's the biggest moment in ECW's history, but it's really a significant moment in pro wrestling history mm-hmm. is like this, this legitimate third party company um, getting onto pay-per-view and kind of asserting themselves as like a third option pretty much. Right. Uh, um, and I, you know, I, it's a, it's a little ways from now until we get to that pay-per-view, but I feel like there's a, a good chance that I'll want to go back and watch it. And we could, maybe, maybe we can just like discuss, how we thought the show was on worldwide instead of like obviously not do like a big review of it or anything right. like that, but maybe kind of be like how we thought the pay-per-view came off. Cause it's, it is, it's just like, it's a big, big moment in wrestling history. In Mexico, Liz Mark jr. And black magic, AKA Norman smiley have jumped from promo as have jumped from CMLL to promo as Tekka. Uh, and given promo as Tekka's relationship with WCW, Dave Meltzer expects that both could show up soon in WCW. Uh, and as longtime WCW fans will know, yeah, Lismar Jr. and Norman Smiley both will have their place in the company eventually. Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit are continuing to work the boys as part of their whole angle with woman. After Nitro on January 13th, the most recent episode we covered, there was a brawl in a bar where Sullivan punched Benoit twice at about 12.30 a.m., uh, this was near the Superdome where Nitro had been. They had a big showy pull apart after Benoit was making out with Nancy. This is similar to Sullivan's deal with Pillman in that uh, there's probably only a couple people in on it. Kevin, Nancy, Chris, probably Eric. Uh, they're trying to pass it off as legit. And, and they definitely are trying to work the boys and not the fans because this was in a bar where apparently it was almost all WCW guys partying after Nitro. So it was not like for the masses. This was done for the other wrestlers. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we, we've talked to death about how stupid both of us find working the boys as a goal. Um, this morning, I watched a little bit, mostly just because it pertained. Uh, I wanted to watch the parts that pertain to the timeline that we're on. Uh, so I watched some of that Vice uh, Beyond the Ring or, or Dark Side of the Ring, uh-huh. uh, the one they just did on Chris and Nancy. Did you watch any of that at all? No, I don't. I just don't have much 
uh, interest in that show in general. I mean, for one thing, they they just interviewed too many despisable people, untrustworthy people. Yeah, sure. And and I, I tried watching the initial Benoit thing, but it's just like it's just very off putting. Like having Jericho com- like doing the the um, narration and stuff like that. I don't know. It just though it's not for me. It's just the whole thing's not for me, and it's not really necessarily telling stories I, I haven't really heard anyway so uh anyway yeah i don't disagree with anything you said and i'm trying to i don't think i've seen any of the other episodes i just i don't watch a lot of i watch a lot of survivor uh reruns through the cbs all access app other than that i don't watch sure. a ton of tv right now um yeah. but i wanted to watch this just because i wanted to see how much they said about this the time when kevin sullivan sort of booked his own divorce as the, as the joke goes. Um, and they did, yeah. you know, it's more, uh, for what, you know, better or worse, probably worse. It's, it's certainly more focused, I think on the later things because it's, it's mostly about the unfortunate circumstances of, of their death and the, the murder suicide. They, they only want to spend some time on how they got together in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it was interesting. There was more, I guess then I realized I'd certainly heard this, but but just hearing it straight from people involved, like Dean Malenko's wife um, is interviewed and Vicky Guerrero. Um, I'd heard that there was probably some physical abuse from Kevin Sullivan towards Nancy, uh, and it it was worse than I realized. And when you actually hear someone say like she came over and I saw her black eye and it was from Kevin, like it's just awful. It's it's terrible and. I, I always thought that he just pushed them into, like, making out and hanging out, and they fell in love, and then he was mad, and that was the whole deal. But really, yeah. it was also, like, they had a rocky relationship in which he was abusive, and then she went to Chris for comfort because he was already pushing her towards Chris for this mm-hmm. stupid storyline, and, yeah. and that's what happened. So it wasn't just that he, like, made them hang out so much that they fell in love. He was also, like, a monster, just a really awful guy. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure it was the sort of thing where I, I'm guessing Nancy didn't think like this was a great idea, but she was probably in a relationship or a situation where she kind of had to do what she was told. Yeah. Or otherwise there might be consequences. Um kind of sensing the kind of person that Kevin Sullivan was. Yeah. It's just really unfortunate and and just um I've really grown to like her so much on these nitros and just to see how she was uh, treated so horribly by the men in her life is is uh, tragic and very sad and and probably uh, time to move on from that because it's just a really really depressing story. Yeah, the Chicago Sun Times ran an article about Mongo McMichael over the weekend. Uh, makes sense since he's coming back to the Chicago area for Nitro on our next episode. So they were profiling him. They said that he earns in the mid six figures which Meltzer thinks is probably around correct because he knows that he was making $350,000 to announce and has probably gotten somewhat of an increase on that to be like a uh, wrestler, which actually, if you think about it, announcer might be a harder job, especially for the amount of wrestling Mongo actually does. Oh, yeah. He used to talk for an entire hour of, of Nitro every week, and now he comes out and does like one promo as part of the big horseman segment every week, and that's about it. Yeah, and, and not complaining, but we almost never see him in the ring. Yeah, which I'm grateful for, but it, yes. yeah, paying him more than an announcer would be a, a questionable decision, let's say. Right. 
Speaking of questionable decisions, according to the Chicago Sun-Times, and this info probably came from Mongo, uh, they are, WCW is allegedly grooming him for a semi-main event position. Boy. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know. I don't know what that uh, language means, you know? <laughs> right. That, that could that could be kind of a blanket statement that they give lots of wrestlers. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I could, I mean, if they saw the, the potential in bringing in like a former Chicago Bears great to become a wrestler, I could definitely see them being like, yeah, well, we're not going to make him just a mid-carder either. We're going to make sure his name is being used prominently. So uh, I could totally see the, them doing that. I mean, I don't get the reasoning behind that because we have yet. I, I feel like there are occasions in which he is very, he can be um, good on the microphone, but that's about it overall. I mean, there's occasional moments on the microphone. Other than that, he is an eyesore in the ring and generally just incomprehensible on the mic. I'm excited because uh, since they're in Chicago, he actually does get in the ring in our next Nitro. So we will get to see oh. a little bit of Mongo wrestling, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. Let's get to see all the progress he's made then. Well, speaking of that, uh, because Meltzer is, you know, talking about this profile, he has to get in a little a little dig, a little something that somebody who doesn't like Mongo or maybe multiple people have fed him. Uh, uh-huh. And that's that Mongo is supposed to show up bef- early to the show every week in order to do some more wrestling training before Nitro. Mm-hmm. I don't sure. think he's like heading down to the power plant all week and working there. So he's supposed to be yeah. doing it before the shows. Right. Uh, and he rarely ever does it. And when he does... He is described as still being barely able to do the basics. Fantastic. (laughs) All right. Well, that's all the wrestling news out of the torch in the Observer. So the next thing I want to do is go through our Saturday night results. Over on Saturday night, they start out with the same opener as Nitro as Chavo Guerrero defeated Mr. JL. Same finish and everything, the, the moonsault. Conan fought Big Bubba to a double countout in a horrible chain match, uh, so that feud unfortunately seems to be continuing. Mm-hmm. WCW TV champion Lord Steven Regal, who had a time limit draw against Psychosis the week before on Saturday night, he defeated Psychosis with the Regal stretch. Rick Steiner defeated Mike Enos. Jim Duggan defeated The Gambler. Bobby Eaton beat Disco Inferno, who was still trying to figure out his own leg hold. Uh, in a very funny bit, he had a diagram of the leg hold, and the di- he, he couldn't do it because he held the diagram upside down when he tried to read it. Uh, uh, and then when he showed the camera the diagram, it was like uh, a guy, it was like a stick figure on his back with his legs like kind of folded in a figure four type position, and he had a big frowny face, which it it was very funny to me. I, I actually got a real big kick out of that. Uh Eddie Guerrero and Six had a little bit of preview for their match coming up at the pay-per-view. It wasn't a ladder match, just a match. Uh, it ended up in a no contest, though. I believe it's been a, a couple days since I watched it. I think it was just NWO interference. Max defeated Mark Starr. The Barbarian defeated Arn Anderson by disqualification. Lex Luger beat Scott Norton in the main event. Uh, the only other notable thing to come out of that Saturday night that I want to mention, because it comes up on Nitro... Uh, we'll actually see the entire promo on Nitro, but Eric Bischoff cuts this long promo where he's sitting on like a Harley the entire time. One of those NWO promos, you know, and yeah. he's sitting on a Harley talking about a lot of stuff and he goes off on, on for a few minutes on thoughts on the macho man 
Uh, so we've we've seen a lot of like oh, um, okay, a lot of noticeable dropping of the Macho Man's name lately. So Bischoff kind of going on a long run about Macho Man on Saturday night is pretty notable. And like I said, it will come up again when we get to Monday Nitro. Boy, kind of wonder where he's going to fit in on this because, I mean, his natural, it would make sense for him to want revenge against Hogan. Yep. But Hogan kind of ha- already has two different like competitors right now because it's, it's not really resolved with Piper and he has like a really big deal going on right now with the giant. So there's also Lex Luger and Sting waiting in the wings. There's right. There's DDP who right now has other fish to fry with the NWO, but is certainly like you could see a storyline where he works his way up the NWO food chain. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, you, there's a lot going on right now, and I 100% agree that like where Randy fits into that will be very interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, now, before we go on to uh, the how we like to close the show during quarantine, which is to name a something that we enjoy that distracts us, a you know something to to occupy your time, uh, we're introducing a new segment, something that I am calling the Lee Marshall Memorial Indie Road Report, and that is every uh, episode of Worldwide that we record while on quarantine, we will spotlight an independent wrestler from another part of the country, another part of the world. Uh, hopefully in some cases uh, and we're going to just talk to them about uh, their history with nitro what it's like to be without work right now because uh, it, of course indies aren't allowed to run um, we talked about that with darren corbin who was supposed to be down uh, in orlando when we talked to him he was, he was supposed to be in tampa for wrestlemania week and then go to orlando for his honeymoon not able to do either of those unfortunately um, and we talk about that a little bit or i talk about that a little bit with this week's guest uh, who is DMC Dante Marquise Carter. You'll hear that segment in just a minute. Because uh, he is also, he's Florida-based. So he also had a number of matches that he was supposed to be doing uh, WrestleMania week that, that of course, got canceled. Uh, so we talk about all that. Um, I, w- I do want to just preface it. Our, our Skype connection at times was a little rocky. Um, so if anything is unclear, apologies. It's, it's the best recording I got. I, I, it's, it's pretty good, but there's just a couple parts where I think he was using his phone and it cuts out just a little bit. Um, but we're going to run that interview right now. Uh, these are going to be all, all quarantine long. We're doing these. So hope you guys enjoy it. And we'll be right back after this interview with DMC. My guest today is an independent wrestler based in Florida who you may have seen in coastal championship wrestling, independent championship wrestling, American Combat Wrestling, and more. He is one half of Task Force, Dante Marquise Carter, a.k.a. DMC. Uh, welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing today? Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate being on board. So you said uh, you shot me a DM where we said we wanted to spotlight independent workers during this time where things are crazy, people can't work out there, and and you reached out and you said you grew up in a WCW home. And I, I really like that phrasing. It kind of reminded me of like Coke and Pepsi families, you know. <laughs> I, I, so what was that? Uh, was that something with your you and your siblings or were your parents actually into wrestling? Did they have a preference? How did that come about? It's a it's a, it's a good story. Um, like you said, it's like a Coke and Pepsi kind of deal, especially with me being in my 30s. So, uh, you know, naturally. And my, uh, my my informative years, that was when the Attitude Era, so it was like deep in our thick of the Monday Night War. So it was it was a Coke or Pepsi kind of deal. And um, Right. 
at the time I grew up in Virginia. So I was right on that line of, in terms of, you know, just South enough for the NWA WCW territories, but just North enough for the WWF territory. So I kind of got the best of both worlds, but sure. So I say it was more of a household issue because my mom, she actually grew up in uh, North Carolina. So, Oh, there oh, we actually, go. Uh, Virginia, well, Virginia, Virginia, uh, Danville, Virginia, which is, you know, stone's throw from the Carolina border. So she was within the Carolina territory. So the NWA, when they would do their their Carolina um, loops, they would come up to um, Danville, Virginia. So she was heavily influenced in NWA. So that's why I say it was more of a WCW because with her being a fan of that product, that was the wrestlers that she associated with. So by the time TV came on, she, you know, she had that, uh, she had that personal connection with more of the, the WCW style of wrestling versus the, cartoon animated uh, style of the WWF. So that's, that brings me to an interesting question then, because, you know, we, our show covers kind of the nitro era. That's where we start and that's what we look at. Uh, And I think a lot of the fans, the older fans who had been with the NWA, the WCW for a long time, saw Hulk Hogan joining WCW as a real bad thing because all of a sudden the cartoonish stuff was taking a forefront with, you know, the, dungeon of doom the faces of fear all that stuff and the horsemen kind of suddenly took a step back in terms of you know who presenting by importance you know hulk was at the top mm-hmm. flair and the guys were below what was your your family's reaction to that did did anything kind of change in the perception of wcw well it definitely shook the foundation in terms of my perception um i it made me it made me think that wwf was real if that makes any sense um at the time wcw was the was the real was was the real wrestling and then um i remember when hulk hogan coming over and i'm like well hulk hogan they don't come over here like you know because first he started getting like you know i was familiar with hall and ash and and, and things like that but you know i was just like okay yeah all right that's that's weird but then you start seeing and then when hogan came i was like, okay this is weird like like what is this other promotion that's that's, that's shooting all the you know where are these other guys coming from so it definitely, um, it definitely rocked the foundation. Um, and I would say, obviously, in hindsight, it, 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 some, some would say it, it turned it for the worse. But I would, I would, I would agree in the sense of a lot of the more traditional WCW formatted, um, you know, old school f- uh, philosophy. It felt like uh, the, 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 the psychology and the, and the philosophies of WCW changed in, in more of a we're going to modernize everything and try to compete with WWF instead of just staying true to their original values. So yeah, I can see, I can see where a lot of people are upset in terms of uh, how that kind of rocked the forefront. But I, I would, I would say we noticed a shift too, because I would say like everybody else eventually um, to about like 99, 2000, about 99 is when I jumped shipped and went over to the, to the evil side, to the WWF side. So I think that's about when everyone did pretty much 99, 2000, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right before the buyout. Yeah. A lot of, you know, there's a lot of people that try to say that they held on to the end. And it's not true. Everybody, everybody jumped (laughs) off. If if you were still around, if you were still around, I would say, hmm, almost like the turning, turning point. If you were still around, I hate to say, if you're still around, around like when they just had nobody on top anymore and they just, tried to push uh, Booker T and it was just, it was such a forced push. If you were around that time, yeah, you were, you were around way too long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I think Booker T yeah, interesting case. Cause definitely somebody who could have been 
a main mm-hmm. event star and carried the company, but they just had to pull the trigger on that way earlier than yep. they should have, or they could have, you know, maybe they could have started developing that earlier in 97 and 98. Instead, he was kind of never a thing, and then all of a sudden he was the champion, and it, it just never quite clicked the way that it should have. Well, because they didn't realize that they were they were building all of their, you know, they were building everything around all of these older guys, and then when, when all these older guys kind of just became businessmen and, you know, buried the business essentially, they... You know, they it was like, well, what about these guys that's been sticking around since day one? Like, like you said, they could have been building them up since 97, 98, 99. And I feel like they were doing that at one point with like the cruiserweights and stuff like that, giving them a secondary highlight. That was what drew me in. You want to yeah. talk about ECW? That it was, it was the, it was the, the first, the first match, man. I, I never missed, I never missed the first match because you were always guaranteed a cruiserweight crash, classic of some sort. So, um. Yeah, that was so. I mean, that, those were they, they, they tried to push as many people as possible, but at the end of the day, when you got, you know, the the, the boys, the, the 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 OGs running running the show, I mean, what what can you do, you know? So was it the the cruiserweight division? Do you feel like that would have the biggest influence on you as a wrestler? Is there somebody in WCW or WWE or anywhere? Uh, you know, are there a well, few was, guys that you've kind of sure. looked at as you patterned off of? For sure, the, the the wrestler that drew me in was Sting. I remember um, actually going to my first house show, which was the WCW um, live event. See that it was either a live event or it was World War Three. It was one of those shows that used to always come because I was going to say I was living in Virginia at the time. So I was going to ask, shows. cause so would that have been at the Scope then? Yep, the Norfolk Scope. Yep. So it was either uh, World War Three, one of the World War Threes, um, had it been about 93, 94, or it was just a house show that was there. I can't remember which one specifically, but I just remember watching Sting. Like he was just coming down, the, he came down the aisle and all of his pageantry and and the whole, literally the whole place rocked. And I did not understand why every single person was screaming for this one man. And then that kind of that kind of is what drew me in but what uh the, the person that really hooked me hooked me um again like i said wcw cruiserweights um is um, it was definitely jericho his sure. his antics his 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 the, elev- the the evolution of his character just in wcw alone from just being the the the, the high flying technical prowess to being just the, the you know the mouthy chicken shit to you know just being as well rounded just those were early signs of, of how great he was going to be even to this day. So for him, that, that kind of, that kind of thing drew me in and I've always placed him in my top, my interchangeable top three, um, just based off of influence alone. Was there a, a certain point do you remember when you decided I want to do that? I want to be in the ring. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say, I think it was always something. I mean, cause you know, me and my brother, we always, you know, try to put each other in figure fours and, 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 and ankle locks in the living room like any other sibling did back in those days. Um, but in terms of like a specific moment where I was like, yeah, I want to do that. No, I, just, I think it was something that I always wanted to do. Um, I just wasn't afforded the opportunity to go right into doing it. Um, I had other aspirations and specifically uh, um, joining the military was a thing that I, had high high uh high desire to do coming out of high school so that you know the dream of being a professional wrestler didn't really come 
um, and so I would say pr- pretty much later, in t- pretty much later into my my life, um, mm-hmm. as around the time that the military was ending, I was like, well, you know, I always wanted to do this, and now that I've done the military thing, so you know, I fulfilled one one dream and didn't forget another. So that's kind of it. All kind of was something that you know it was, it was all in a, it was all a part of the plan. Just had to do the time and wait for the time for it to to eventually roll out. So I was I was checking out some of your matches earlier, and one of the ones I happened to find it was a six man ladder match, mm-hmm. where you uh you ended up doing a splash off the top of the ladder. That looked that looked pretty intense. Were you scared up there? Were you was that just the, you know uh, out, the crowds the there? Your blood's flowing. The out the out was that the outside? The outside yeah, the outdoor one. Yep. Uh, that was that was that was me going through a breakup so (laughs) (laughs) that was there that was therapy that was what you saw no um you 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 tend not to think about stuff like that because when you think about it that's when you overthink and when you overthink that's when you overcorrect or under you know and then that's that one one slight miscalculation could be very detrimental so you kind of just you kind of just accept that you're going to do it and then you just do it without abandon so if not, then don't do it. You know, it's just one of those, it's one of those things. So that's why they call it death defying and high risk. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now, uh, how long have you been doing a task force with Mikey Spandex? Me and the Mikester have been hooked, have been doing this for, gosh, we just hit, it was November, 2018. Was when we had our first, we had our debut match. Um, uh, little rewind on that. We uh, we were at a uh, WWN um, Evolve tryout, and me and him, we've had some matches before in a promotion in Daytona, and um, and you know we linked up at this tryout, and we had a tryout match together. They liked both of us. They ended up in us both on, so we ended up you know debuting on Evolve together just having that natural chemistry that we've known that we've had. And it was like, well, let's see if we can, you know, stretch the bonds of this. And uh, we pitched the idea to evolve that, um, you know, to con- you know that we want to try it out as a tag team. Let's see, because they were interested in both of us, but it just was like there was no immediate need for one or the other. Mm-hmm. So we was like, well, let's just try the tag team deal. And, and what started as, you know, just an idea to try to get on Evolve turned into, you know, something that's completely changed his and I, career like we ever expected it you know so um you know being able to travel and hitting the roads and and going just from being practically co-workers in his business to you know ride or die best friends over in you know such a short period of time just just shows just how much fun and trust and, and, and dedication and sacrifice we have towards each other so do you have a preference now between singles or t- and tag, or do you look at yourself no, as a tag specialist? I, much, I much prefer tag because you get the same paycheck when doing half the work. So, yes, I much prefer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I don't get hurt. I like that answer. Only half, half the, half, getting half the punches and half the slams. Yes, I much prefer tag team. Um, no, like I said, I think, I think because – I am um, I'm wrestling with someone that I know that's got my back and I know, you know, he's a really, really good friend of mine. And, you know, I can go in there and I can wrestle, you know, I, I can go in there and do whatever I, you know, that's what I do. I've always been dedicated to going there and just wrestling. I always try to go in there and, and put on the best match um, of my career that night 
um, regardless of where it is. I mean, you know, right, right now WrestleMania is happening. There's nothing, you know, there's there's nobody in the audience. So I've, I've been in that situation where I've, you know, I've had to wrestle with no no people in the audience, but I've also had the fortune of wrestling thousands of people in the audience. So, you know, it's all about me just going out there and putting my all in. But I'd rather go out there and have some fun when I'm out there doing it. So, yeah, I, uh, I much prefer the tag team. Being out there with Mikey is it's pretty cool. Now, since uh, you mentioned WrestleMania, and I know you're you're living in Florida, were you were there bookings you had this week for Mania Weekend and Mania Week stuff you missed out on when when stuff got shut down? Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was supposed to be a really big uh, really big week for um for for myself and my tag partner. Um, I had for the week from the 29th up until what would have been Saturday yesterday. Uh, the third, I had um, nine matches for that mm. week. Wow. And Mikey had eight. So we had a couple of one-offs in terms of singles because I'm a um, because I'm a I'm a cruiserweight champion for a promotion. So I had a cruiserweight title defense. He had another show that he was gonna do some stuff on. Then we had another show that was kind of a maybe, so we really don't count those shows. But for the most part, we had a show every day um, last week or this or what would have been last week. So, yeah, it was a hit. Um, and and we have a we, have, we we we're OK in terms of um, uh, in terms of what we do um, outside of outside of wrestling. Um but, so your your day job or whatever you want to call it, that's something you can continue well, to do in time, spite of Yeah. I mean, you know, at the time when 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 WrestleMania was 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 considered and everybody started, you know, leaving town or whatnot, at the time it was like, Okay, all right, yeah, we we can take that. But then when the state shut down, that's what killed because him and I are both um independent contractors. So we were oh, you know, sure. paid, yeah, getting paid practically daily. So when um yeah so when when the, when the word came down to shut down the state it was just like oh oh and then it's like it shut down around the time we you know so it was like around the time that we were expected to have such and such money you know in hindsight or in reality by the time that time came we ended up losing everything so it was just like uh back to the drawing board <laughs> yeah but you know, you just stay positive, you know, you just kind of stay, kind of stay, you know, you, we, we were told we were, we were brought up the right way. Um, and, and a lot of, and thankfully a lot of our trainers, um, you know, prepared us, uh, to, to handle, um, the finances of wrestling, um, mm-hmm. responsibly. Um, that's also why 90% of the booking information goes through Mikey. Cause I will, I mess up. T- <laughs> I'm, sometimes <laughs> I'm so good with numbers. So Mikey handles that. Um, but yeah. Um, but for the most part, yeah. You know, like I said, we were brought up the right way. So we, we didn't, I mean, obviously wrestling is plan a and plan B. So, you know, it's kind of, kind of going back to the drawing board and figuring out what we're going to do and how we're going to persevere and move forward. And that's, and and then you know when it when it comes to wrestling and I'm and I'm pretty long winded on this I'm sorry but when it comes to wrestling you know you gotta you gotta aim to inspire and um, aspire so when we're in the ring and 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 we're performing you want to inspire as many people as possible in the crowd and 
when you're forcing a situation that we're in, me and him have talked about this on numerous occasions, but we got to we have to find a way to not only inspire, you know, other people that are in our situation, but the other wrestlers as well. There's a mm. lot of guys, you know, it's not just us and it sucks, you know, and it breaks, it breaks my heart, you know, cause I know what could have been. And I know, especially down here in Florida, especially in this area, central Florida, there's so many kids that busted their ass to get to a certain point. And, you know, to have it all just go away and it wasn't even their choice. That's the, that's the part that, you know, it it, 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 it gets me. So it's like now I gotta be on the forefront. Now I gotta I gotta do everything I can to 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 help, you know, be a guided in light or inspiration to somebody that, you know, whose week was completely devastated. Cause mine's was, I you know, and I'm but I'm not gonna sit here and, and try to dwell on it. I'm just gonna try to get the word out, you know, do something yeah. like this. Like when I saw this, when I saw this opportunity, I was like, Oh man, this is great, you know, because now we can talk about it because a lot of people don't want to talk about it. Right. Talk about how, you know, because in wrestling, you got to you got to be tough. You got to be strong. You can't you know, you can't show your you know, you got you got to kayfabe your emotions, you know. But there's a lot of people that are hurt, that are that are pissed off. There are a lot of people that are mad. There are a lot of people that are sad, angry. And all these emotions, they on top of that, they're locked in with their families. So, you know, you know, you got to make sure that these people are taken care of mentally. Making sure mm-hmm. that mental health is taken care of because you don't want anything bad to happen. So that's why I've always been a champion of it. And just trying to try, like I said, do things like this is really cool because you never know who you can help in a situation like this. So to that end, the uh, you know, keeping yourself busy, the mental health end, is there, you know, with uh both your daytime job and your wrestling, your your passion taken away. Are there other? What are you doing to take up your time? Are there other creative outlets or hobbies you got going on right now? What are you doing? Yeah, just just you know maintaining creativity. I'm uh, I've I've gotten into uh, like video production and editing. I'm doing some things that I've never picked up before. So you know just just expanding my skill set and what I got. So I'm rebuilding my computer right now to make it strictly my editing for editing, and um. And, you know, maybe do like highlight reels or, or, you know, edit some things right here, here and there. And then, you know, me and Mikey were constantly, now we just got to, you know, instead of wrestling in the ring, we got to wrestle on the internet. So, <laughs> gotta, you know, we just got to make ourselves just as entertaining and just as cool as, you know, as when we were wrestling, you know, in, in front of a crowd. So we got to do, we got to keep doing what we're doing in terms of our, you know, promotions and, and stuff like that. So. We'll just we'll, we'll just keep at it, you know. Keep learning and, and and figuring out new things to do. Keeping up with workouts, not eating all the quarantine snacks, and you know, staying disciplined and, and and being being good with it. Now I know you're an anime guy. Is there a you got one or two shows you can recommend to people if they they want to check out something while they're in quarantine, something they can binge watch? Well, if they haven't finished My Hero Academia, I don't know what they're they're holding on to. That's uh, slowly. <laughs> All of that, all the movies. Um, Mikey put me on that one, and I've just been binging, binging, binging on that. It's, it's, it's. I got a lot more time. I'm still trying to figure out how to, what to do with all of this time that I have. Yeah. So whenever, whenever I figure it out, then, then uh, I, I, I'll blast it on my appropriate social medias. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a great segue because uh, before we let you go, do you want to give you a chance plug any social media? Uh, YouTube, I know you said you did some video editing. Just anywhere that people, fans, uh, future promoters, back when we get up and running, where can they find you 
uh, where, where are you at on social media? Sure. Um, social media is at N-Q-U-I-S-W-E-T-R-U-S-T. I-N-Q-U-I-S-W-E-T-R-U-S-T on, uh, that's on the Twitters, the Instagrams, and the Snapchats, I believe. But I never use, I just use Snapchat for the camera, to be honest. I don't really use Snapchat. Camera, camera functions good on that. But uh, Facebook, uh, most prevalent on that in terms of the task force page, uh, the business page is there. Um, and on YouTube, we have a, a few individual channels as well as task force as well. But our merch, we're located at the Pro Wrestling Tea store. Uh, you just do a search for task force. So you just search for uh, prowrestlingtees.com forward slash uh, mission accomplished or backslash mission accomplished. And that gives you the uh, the lead to the to, to the apparel website and uh yeah we've got about three shirts up there so that's uh that's where you can find us digitally all right well dmc thanks for taking the time to come on our show and talk a little wcw and a little bit uh of the state of your quarantine your your time away from wrestling and like everybody else we we hope that uh the independents get up and running as soon as it's safe to do so because we want to be out there seeing you guys you guys and and gals and everybody that's uh that's missing from the ring right now so thanks for coming on no, no absolutely man i appreciate you for having me and uh this is good man keep it going i i, I support the cause and, and i appreciate everything you're doing to help us in in, in light up so so thank you appreciate it Well, my thanks again to Dante Marquise Carter. Uh, you can find him, like he said, uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's at In Keys We Trust. Uh, I think he used that on Instagram as well. You can also check, uh, search Dante Marquise Carter on YouTube and find a lot of videos of him. Like I, I mentioned in the interview, I watched a few of his matches, including a big outdoor six-man ladder match that was fun, some of his tag stuff with uh, Mikey Spandex and Task Force. Uh, definitely a fun guy to keep your eye on and somebody uh, worth watching. If you're in the Florida area, be sure and check out Task Force and DMC wherever you can. Now, Dave, we like to end the show, as you know, during quarantine with something that you think could help distract people, some way to waste their time, some piece of content you could recommend. What do you got for the folks this week? Uh, well, this week, uh, and I'm not sure, I mean, by the time you hear this, I don't know if a lot of people will know about it already uh, or not, but um, starting on April 3rd, um, the HBO Go, HBO Now, has a lot of series and movies that are available just for free for streaming. You don't have to set up their subscription service. Um, I think the noteworthy one is all seven seasons of The Sopranos are available for anyone that hasn't watched that or wants to rewatch that. But other like shows that are available are, um, are succession, uh, true blood, all, all five seasons of the wire, um, all seasons of veep. Um, and then for those who are fans of Dwayne, the rock Johnson, all five seasons of ballers. So that's, uh, you know, if, if you're kind of in the mood to, to binge something, which I feel like is a, a natural way to kind of spend time. There is a lot of different shows on HBO that they're offering for free right now. I was trying to look it up to see if they have an end date, but they don't have anything listed yet. But um, you go to 
either hbonow.com or hbogo.com and those can get you set up for that awesome that is a really good recommendation uh the one i'm gonna make actually ties into our next episode and we'll be talking about it a lot more on our next episode uh but there is a documentary that you can watch starting on april 9th i believe at noon eastern uh so that uh, I'm, I'm hoping to, we're recording this on the 8th i'm hoping to have it out so that would be tomorrow but uh, forget the date april 9th is when you can look at it if you're listening to this april 9th or any day after you can go on youtube or on prime video and watch the documentary magnum's opus uh all about the events uh with the return and subsequent forced retirement of independent wrestler from the uh, West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky area. I, I think I'm correct in that geographic location. Uh, Magnum CK. Uh, and we're going to talk about it a lot in our next episode, like I said, because he's actually going to join us uh, for Nitro episode number 71. He's a big WCW fan. Uh, so we're really excited to talk about Nitro with Magnum CK and also talk about this documentary. Uh, he has another documentary that you can already see as long as you're checking these out. Uh, he has one you can already see on Prime Video. I don't know if that one's on YouTube, but I'm sure that it's on Prime Video uh, called Marking Out. Uh, that one's a lot of fun. So, yeah, looking forward to that. So that's something you can check out. And then uh, when you hear our next episode, you'll be ahead of the curve. You can you can know about the documentary already and, and be an expert on Magnum uh, as we break down Nitro episode number 71 with him. Dave, thank you so yes. much for joining me for Worldwide, as always. No. I'll, I'll say here at the end... Uh, I lost the audio for our original recording of Worldwide. Dave has spent this entire time generously pretending like I didn't tell him all of these facts of the Observer and the Torch like four days ago. He's, he's been a, a trooper. I appreciate it. Thank you for podcasting with me as always. Not much you can really do if something gets deleted by accident. I, it just, you know, it's just uh, any time with technology, there are going to be those painful learning lessons every now and then. Well, you will find our next episode, episode number 71, January 20th, 1997, where we will be joined by Magnum CK, and that'll be right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro.